it's wonderful to see all of you this morning, especially on such a wonderful day where our dear Brandon and Sarah will be married, and what a joy. It's always a great day when there's a wedding of two believers in Jesus Christ, and I am very, very privileged to be a part of it, just to be able to rejoice in the goodness of God. I'm uh, part of the Quinn family for sure, of course, with my own eight children and all of uh, their children, but uh, I feel like I'm a part of the Kelly family as well because uh, one of their sons, Shane, is my son-in-law, and he married my daughter, Lauren, and now they have three wonderful children, and so uh, we're greatly blessed to be two families who uh, love the Lord Jesus Christ and are blessed to know Him by faith, and what a great opportunity also to be with you here at Grace Bible Church. Um, As Brandon Phillips mentioned, uh, we are Arkansas boys together, and uh, our paths have crossed in multiple ways through the years, and I'm great, greatly blessed to be able to be with him on this Lord's Day and to be with all of you, even those of you I've never met. I want to encourage you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. If you'll begin in Luke chapter 6, And if you have your outline there with you, whether you write anything in your bulletin or not, I want you to see from the outline what I saw at one time when I was recently reading through from cover to cover the Gospel of Luke. And the more I read, particularly in the middle section of this long Gospel, through to the very end, some amazing statements by Jesus himself, amazing in this sense, that when Jesus is teaching those around him, and particularly his disciples, he kept speaking about himself. Now, If you and I were to read the entirety of the Gospel of Luke together this morning, we won't. Don't be alarmed. We won't. If, in fact, we were to do that, just as I did not long ago, I started reading several times all of these statements where Jesus was saying something about himself. He would say it in this way, what about me? What about me? Now, for the uninitiated, those, perhaps even some of you this morning, who do not know Christ, you might be saying, as you would read the Gospel of Luke, why is he continually speaking about himself? It's as though he might have some kind of maniacal fixation upon himself, that he's so important, that he thinks so much of himself that he's talking in the first person. He's always referring to himself, always talking about his life, his ministry, his claims, his miracles, his teaching. If you're not careful, you read something like the Gospel of Luke and in other words, it's all about him. It's all about me, he says. And there might even be those 
folks in the world, and surely they are there, who would say, that's a put-off. He's always talking about himself. That seems like he's proud and arrogant and boastful. But the more you read from the Gospel of Luke, and the more you read about what Jesus says about himself, and about the grandiose claims of his life, you have to make a response in your own heart, everybody. And the response you have to make in your heart is this, either what this man is saying is absolutely false, if his claims cannot be trusted, if his teaching is not true, then I'll dismiss him from my mind forever. Or, if what this man is saying is true, if all of his claims are accurate, if all of these miracles that he is doing in and around Palestine and Israel, if all of these grandiose claims are right, then I owe him my life. I owe him everything. And I will follow him forever. Those are the only two options there are. There's not any middle way. There's not any person alive who's ever lived or ever will live who can say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was somebody that maybe he's not all about himself, but he's certainly not God. He's certainly not someone who demands the kind of attention that he seems to crave. I'll give him his props. I'll give him bouquets for his ethics. I'll allow him to believe about himself what he claims, but I'm not going to follow him. I don't really believe all the things that he says about himself, but I'll give him his due. I'll respect him. I'll honor him like I do some of the other religions of the world. I'll certainly give him a clap every now and then, or I'll give him a nod for something he may have said that was prosaic, something that he might have done, though he can't possibly have done everything the Gospel of Luke says he did. I'll follow him in the sense that I'll believe him to be a holy man, but he's not more holy than other holy men who have walked the earth. You see, that option's not given to us. The only option is this. Follow him. Follow him as the Lord God of the universe. Follow him as God in human flesh. Follow him as the Savior of the world. Follow him as the one who grants eternal life to those who repent and believe in him for salvation, the salvation of their souls, or reject Him out of hand. Reject Him forever. You don't have an option in the middle. You either have to say yes or no to Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other place. There is no other middle ground. There is no other choice. And so... When Jesus makes these grandiose claims in the Gospel of Luke, and the more I read about them, the more I listened to this word, me, 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 
I thought to myself, back to the days when I was a freshman in college. And it could be that you might be a freshman at the University of Florida. Could have been that you have seen many years pass since you might have been in college or that age. And at the age of 18, someone gave me a Bible. I didn't grow up as a Christian, didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, my mother was a Jehovah's Witness. And when someone gave me that Bible and said, you're going to college now, right? Yes, I am. All they said was this, you're going to need this. You're going to need this Bible. And when I got to college and pledged a fraternity, and saw what a dry well that was, I realized, what's life all about? What about these grandiose claims of what seemed to me to be a madman, someone who's claiming so many things about himself, always talking about himself, and always making value judgments and statements that if you don't believe in him, you you can't be saved. If you don't follow him, you're going to perdition. What, What about this? And what about me? What about my life? What about my future? What's life all about? What happens when you die? Where do you go? What do you do? And so as I read the Bible, in about a four to six month period of time, through the living and abiding word, I came alive. I came alive to see the truth about who Jesus Christ really is. You want to see it with me? Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Jesus said in verse 22, just to give you a little bit of a context, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Now, when I read that off the printed page, I thought, how odd. How strange. Blessed are you when people hate you? Isn't it the other way around? Blessed are you when people love you? regard you as stylish and educated and bright and pretty and handsome? What do you mean, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil? And don't forget that phrase, on account of the Son of Man. Or how about verse 46 of that same chapter? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, in other words, you're 
saying like that middle ground that I mentioned a a moment ago, oh yeah, I'm never going to entrust my whole soul to Jesus Christ, but I'm certainly not going to say he never existed. I'm certainly not going to say that he isn't making such claims because clearly here he is, but I'm not going to obey what he says. Well, the one who hears Jesus Christ and does not do what he says is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now these are some amazing statements. And then you get to chapter 7, verse 23, and it says this, Jesus, here's his claim, blessed, there's that word again, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now again, that just seems to strike me as possibly it does to you as very odd, very odd. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why is that odd? Well, again, there's only two options, my friends. Either you believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, and therefore you're not offended by him at all, by his claims, by his person, by his miracles, by his testimony, by the sheer power of his resolute life, or you reject him wholeheartedly. Nothing in between. No middle way. Either cursed is the one who is offended by Jesus Christ or blessed is the one who is not offended by Him. We could say it like this. Blessed are those who are not at all offended by Jesus Christ. You love Him. You would give your all to Him. Perhaps that's what it will take, giving up your life, giving up whatever it takes to follow Him, to love Him, to obey Him. And if you are, you're like a person who builds a house with a solid foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And when the floods and trials and tests of life come, and when the winds blow, and when the water rushes against The house that's built on the right foundation, it will stand. But if you're offended by Jesus, if you're offended by his claims, offended by his person, offended by his teaching, offended by the sheer audacity that he says, you must believe on me, in me, and you will live forever. The the sheer audacity of it. If you're offended by that, then you're like that house that's built on no foundation at all. When the trials of life come and when the winds of adversity blow, it beats against that house and great is its fall. Are you offended by Jesus Christ? Here's a second statement from Jesus. 
If the first is offended by me, here's the second, ashamed of me. Look at Luke chapter 9. You're like me. We're just reading through the gospel of Luke and we get to chapter 9 and Jesus makes another statement about himself. What about me, he says. And he says in verse 23 of Luke 9, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, that is to follow him, be his disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and what? Follow me. Follow me. For, here's an explanation, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, that is, give up your own life if need be, give up all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, all the things that you want to do apart from following Jesus Christ, if you lose all of that, if you give all of that up for the sake of Jesus Christ, you will save it, the Bible says. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And then here's this astonishing claim, verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me, so follow me or be ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. It's an amazing statement by Christ. If you're not ashamed of him, when either you go to be with him at death or he comes here before we die, if you're not ashamed of him at his coming, your soul will be saved. You'll be delivered. I was reading that in my dorm room at 18 years of age and I said to myself, this is audacious. I mean, how could any one man make such a claim? And if you think he's just a man, of course you do believe he's audacious. But if you believe he's the God-man, the man who has come to save us from not only our own wretched condition, but to save the world itself, this is, this is truth to believe. This is truth to uphold. This is like giving someone a cool drink of water who's a man of the desert, who's famished, who can't live one more second unless he gets a morsel and a drink from the one who comes to give it. Ashamed of me, he says. Well, how are you ashamed of him? By not doing what he says, by not believing in him, by not entrusting your soul to him. I mean, if you're all about what verse 25 says, I'm, off, I'm all about getting all the profit of the world to, to gain the world. 
Reminds me of another passage in another gospel where there was this man who was so rich, he was so successful, he was so about himself and all that he could amass, he had so much produce, he had so much marketability, he had so much fame that he said, I'm amassing all the more, all the time, and I think what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to build bigger barns for all the produce that I have. I own so much that I'm going to have to continue to amass it all. And Jesus said to that man himself, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you possess? You and I might say it like this. You ever seen a hearse carrying a U-Haul? Can't take it with you. That night he was going to die, and Jesus knew it, and Jesus knew that his heart was not right toward God. He was only thinking about himself. He was only thinking about his riches. He was only thinking about all of himself, and therefore was ashamed of Jesus Christ. There's a third statement of Jesus, and it is this, rejects me, rejects me. Look at chapter 10. Jesus just keeps going and going. He keeps talking about himself in a, in a masterful way, in a God-honoring way, in a, in a trumpet sound. This is me. This is my word. This is who I am. And he says in chapter 10, verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. What is he saying? Well, he sent out his disciples to communicate the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ saves. And he says, the one whom you preach to and they hear you, that means they really hear you, they respond to the message, they give up their life for the sake of Jesus Christ, they will hear you. But if you preach that same message to somebody else and they reject you entirely, they don't want to listen to anything you say about me, they shall be rejected. And then he says this, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Do you see that phrase there? Rejects me. That's the third in the Gospel of Luke of these statements about me, me, me. Offended by me. Blessed are those who are not offended by me and ashamed of me. We could say it like this. Rescued are those who are not ashamed of Jesus Christ and now rejects me. We could say it this way. Received are all those who hear the Word of God, the good news about Jesus Christ, and don't reject. You said, now this is a hard message. I thought we were here all gathered for a beautiful, glorious, happy wedding. Yes, we are. And it's a wedding that is entirely designed to bring two people together who are desirous of following Jesus Christ. That's their message That's their message of a wedding. That's the message of any Christian wedding. It's not just about two people getting married. It's not just about two lovers. It's not just about two people who are so happy that they're going to live their lives apart from anything regarding Jesus Christ. No, it's not that at all. They're not offended by Christ. They're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And they don't reject Jesus Christ. That's why it's the happiest wedding of all. 
Because it's a wedding for and about Christ, not about them. It's about Christ. Everything's about Christ. I'm a freshman in my dorm room and I'm listening to this message as I read the Word of God off the pages of Holy Scripture and I said to myself, that's it. That's it. Who have I been living for? What have I been doing? What's life all about? What happens when you die? It's all about Christ. The words came alive off the page. My spiritual eyes were open and my deaf ears were uncorked and I saw the truth that Jesus Christ, though having died, still lives. He's raised from the grave. He's the judge of all the living and the dead and He will one day come to do that very thing. He'll judge every single person who's ever lived. And for the person who says, I'm offended by you, I'm ashamed of you, and I reject you, he will reject. It's a sad, inglorious story. It sure is. That's why you have to not be offended by him and not be ashamed of him and not reject him right now, right where you're seated. I was in that dorm room of Arkansas State University in 1978-79. And when I heard this message from the gospel itself, I said to myself, believe on Christ. Believe what he says. Honor him. Honor the God of the universe. Don't be offended by him. Don't be ashamed by him. Don't reject him. And there's a fourth. Don't be against him. Look at chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. I mean, how, how clear could this be? It, it couldn't be any clearer. If you're, if you're seated there and you're saying, man, I wanted a happy message. I want a hop, skip, and a jump in glory with a message that says Jesus is nice. Well, he is nice. But he also draws a line. And he draws the line with this. If you're not with me, you're against me. Well, what does it mean to be with you? That means to love Him and to be loved by Him. That means to follow Him. That means to obey Him. That means to give all of your life to Him. That means that you are to be a person who's in love with Jesus Christ. Because if you love Him, you're not against Him. And if you're not against Him, He will love you. And he will, tell, he will take care of all your needs. I had these designs. I was, I was so full of myself. Aren't 18-year-olds often like that? I remember thinking back to the little limerick, you know. You were a freshman, Lance, and you know the freshmen. They always carry a silly, eager look. 
Or even a sophomore because he carries one less book. Or maybe a junior with the debonair and such. And oh, now I'm a senior and I don't know much. Oh, I thought I did. I thought I was on cloud nine. I thought I had my whole world ahead of me. I thought I was going to be the greatest sportscaster in the history of the planet. And in a moment, my friends, I read these words off that page. And I realized all my life was about me. All my life was about my aspirations, my goals, my destiny, my life. And I wasn't thinking anything about him. And I realized in a moment, if I'm not with him, I'm against him. So committed are those who are not against Jesus Christ. Are you against Christ? You say, no, 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 no. You keep talking about it's either or, but it's really what I think. It's that middle ground. I'm, I'm not against him. Oh, it's true. I'm not for him necessarily. I don't live for him. I, I, I don't do all that he commands. I, 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 I'm sort of ambivalent about the whole thing. You can't. It's not an option. Either all in or all out. That's what he's saying. If you're not with me, you're against me. And there's a fifth. There's a fifth one here. Deny me. Look at Luke 12. I mean, if you take away the the verses, you take away the chapter divisions, all you can read every time you turn to the next page is Jesus saying, what about me? What about me? What about me? It's the siren sound of a life that isn't being lived for him. And he's just giving you one more opportunity. One more. One more. And what does he say in chapter 12? Verse 8, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me, acknowledges me before men. In other words, you have a public testimony that you fear God, that you love God, that you embrace Jesus Christ. You acknowledge Him publicly before men, the Son of Man. And what will He do? The Son of Man, if you acknowledge Him, will acknowledge you. To whom? Before the angels of God. He'll acknowledge you to everyone. He'll declare. He'll he'll bring you to the the party. He'll, He'll bring you to the wedding, the very wedding supper of the Lamb. And He'll say, I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Lance Quinn. He was lost. He thought he had the world by the tiger's tail. He thought he was all that. He thought he was really cool. And he had a lot of friends. And he was funny. And he was a leader. And he could stand in front of people and talk. And he was lost. He was lost spiritually. And he was so full of himself, he was headed for hell. And you know what happened? I invited him to my party, and I told him, if you come, you have to acknowledge me before all men. You have to say that Jesus Christ is God, that He loves sinners, 
And He wants to redeem them so that they might follow Him all of their lives. Will you acknowledge me before men? And in that four-month period of time, and as I was reading this gospel, I said, yes, yes, I will. Jesus, you've changed my life. You've redeemed me. All of my pride and my arrogance and my boastfulness, you've forgiven me. And so I acknowledge you before men. And now for over 40 years, from that day forward, I have continued to acknowledge Jesus Christ before men, and that's what I'm doing today. I'm acknowledging Jesus Christ before you, that he is who he says he is, and he's going to introduce me one day to all of the holy angels. He's going to have a banquet. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And he's going to introduce all of those who have acknowledged him. And he will welcome them by invitation into the supper, which is a supper in his honor. That's what he's saying. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I can't can't even scarcely think of it. I don't want to think of it. I, I don't want to believe in my heart that there are going to be those persons who have the invitation right before them. It's the greatest invitation that you will ever receive. It's in the greatest package. It's It's from the greatest person and he's asking you to open the envelope and see the invitation and respond to the invitation. I will, I will come and I will come before you and I will not be denied. I will be at that wedding. I will be at that glorious after party, I will be standing before the holy angels of God and Jesus Christ himself will welcome me there. That's what he's saying. I don't want to be denied. I don't want to be against. I don't want to be ashamed of. I don't want to reject. I don't want to offend. And perhaps even at this moment, you're saying, this is not what I came for. This is not what I wanted to hear. This is a wedding day for crying out loud. Oh, it's the greatest wedding you've ever seen. It's the wedding of all weddings. And for those who accept the invitation and for those who come and for those who respond, it's going to be the greatest after party you've ever seen. All of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to be there. It's going to be glorious. And you know, there are actually a few people in the Gospel of Luke who are a part of that who lived utterly wretched lives, just like me. I'll show you another one. This is number six. If you thought this was a bummer of a sermon, it gets better, I promise. Look at chapter 23, Luke 23. There were two thieves, you know, you probably read this account yourself, two thieves on either side of Jesus. 
Jesus is being rejected. There are people who are ashamed of him. There are people who are rejecting him, offended by him, against him, denying him to the degree that they don't even want him to keep living on the earth, and so they put him on a cross. They reject all his claims. They don't believe in him. They don't want him around. They actually are so offended by him that they want to end his life summarily. And so they put him on a cross. And what's even more hideous is they take two rabble-rousers, two thieves, two robbers, and they put the innocent, sinless Son of God in the middle and these two thieves around Him. What shame. And one of them, according to Luke 23, 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at Him, railed at Jesus, saying, are you not the Messiah? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Verse 40, but the other, the thief on the other side, he rebuked his friend. He rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Fear not in being afraid. Fear as in revere. Do you not revere God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, And then notice his acknowledgement, verse 41. And we indeed, we, you and me, you fellow robber, and me a robber, a thief, a crook, and we indeed justly. He's admitting his guilt. He's admitting the, the state of his condition, the state of his heart, the state of his soul, the state of his thievery. We're justly being condemned. We deserve the sentence of death. I mean, he's repenting right there. He's he's looking at his own life and he says, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of everything Jesus stands for in the opposite. He's sinless. He's perfect. They hate him. They're against him. They don't like him. They want him dead. And you, fellow robber, you're agreeing with them against him, and you're criticizing him, and you're trying to force him to do something for you that you want, and I'm telling you, we're guilty. I'm to be justly murdered, but I have one last plea. Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Please remember me. Please, I beg of you. Strong word here. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember that marriage supper of the Lamb that I mentioned? Remember me at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember me when you're sitting at the head table. Remember me. And what did Jesus say to him? Verse 43. Truly I say to you. Here's another me statement of Jesus. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Jesus knew he was going to die. And he knew those two men were going to die. And the one who wasn't repenting, the one who was only mocking and jeering at Jesus, he was not going to be at that marriage supper. 
And the thief on that cross who asked Jesus to remember him, he'll be there by personal invitation. You will be with me. Oh, I tell you, friends, in paradise are only those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. They're the only ones who are going to be there. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can only ask for what you know you deserve in the opposite. You deserve hell. You deserve judgment. So do I. I was condemned. I was arrogant and proud and boastful. I was, I was deserving of nothing. And I received mercy. Mercy. And so did this man. Jesus says to the most unwilling person like me, if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you will be with me in paradise. Are there any more glorious words? I think not. We'll be with Christ in paradise. And perhaps there were some of those, even of Jesus' own disciples, who were following him, who did seem to understand at least a little bit, and, and yet they were still grappling with who he was and the power of his person and the glory of his miracles, and they saw it all, but one of those was Thomas. Do you remember that? Doubting Thomas? He was sort of like one of those in the Gospels that said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, look at Luke 24. Look at chapter 24, verse 39. Jesus has now been resurrected from the dead. He, he's, he's come out of the tomb. God has raised him from the dead and he sees some of his own disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says in verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is myself. In other words, you, you're not seeing a phantom. You're not seeing a ghost. You're not seeing an apparition. You are seeing the crucified, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I'm alive. See my hands? See my feet? It is me. It is I myself. And notice the next phrase. Touch me. Touch me. I mean, I'm just like you. I'm just reading the Gospels. i got a pen in my hand. And every time that word me comes up, I'm just circling it. Shamed of me. Offended by me. Deny me. I, I, I'm looking for the touch me. Touch me. And here it is. Touch me and see. Touch me and see. See what? See spiritually that Jesus is alive. He says, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. In other words, I'm no apparition. I'm no ghost. I actually gave him some fish, and he ate it. Just like a 
person who's alive because he was alive. Touch me. We could say it like this. Saved, affirmed by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are all those who spiritually see. Who spiritually see. You say, but see, that's the problem. The problem is Jesus Christ isn't right here. And I've even heard people say it. I've talked to people about Jesus Christ for these 40 plus years since my own conversion to Him. And people say, I'll believe if I see Jesus Christ in the flesh right here and that I touch Him, that's the only time and that's the only case in which I will believe. And Jesus in another part of the gospel said, no, that's actually not true. You're like those in Moses' day who said, I have to see something with my own eyes. And Jesus said, even if you see a man raised from the dead, you will still not believe. You see, that's doubt masquerading and then pronouncing that they will believe if God does it their way, by their demands. No. If you spiritually affirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you too will be resurrected one day to all the blessings and glory of your home in heaven. I can't think of a greater gift. What a great gift. I bet this would be the greatest gift that Brandon and dear Sarah would love to have at the conclusion of their wedding. That every single person who comes to that wedding would know the truth and the certainty that they are on their way to heaven. What a what a great gift. That's their prayer. This is, this is the gift. I'm not offended by Jesus Christ, nor ashamed of Him, nor rejecting Him, nor against Him, nor denying Him. I will be with Him, and I will touch Him. You say, well, how do I know? Well, there's a last me statement here. Look at verse 44. Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you. And all I've done is select just eight of them, eight words, eight instances, eight situations where Jesus spoke about himself. What about me? And he spoke these words as he says here in verse 44, while I was still with you, that everything written about me, there it is again, circle it, everything written about me. In the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's another way of saying the entire Old Testament must be fulfilled, and they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah, the Christ, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And you know what I've just done this morning as we close? I've just witnessed to you again what so many others have witnessed about Jesus Christ. We're still witnessing. We're still making bold claims that Jesus Christ is alive. He's, a, he's a risen from the dead. 
And that forgiveness is going to go to all of those who repent and believe in the gospel. This is the same message from the first century to the 21st century. And we're still proclaiming the message. I don't know why God in His grace in a dorm room at Arkansas State University in Jonesboro, Arkansas, allowed my eyes to be opened and my ears to be unstopped to hear and believe and affirm this glorious message that I, because I believe in Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith, am on my way to heaven. Is that the case with you? Oh, I hope so. I pray so. Don't delay. No one knows that they have another breath in their bodies. And if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you will be with me, Jesus says, in paradise. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, admittedly, this is a hard message. It could be a message in which someone in their hearts, even as I have been speaking this morning, are deeply offended. I pray that you would take their offense away. I pray that you would cause them instead to say, I need a Savior. I need to have my sins forgiven. I need to be granted a new life in Christ. I need Jesus the perfect God-man, the restorer of sight to the blind. I need to touch Him and see, spiritually speaking. I need to know that I'm on my way to the marriage supper of the Lamb where the bridegroom, Jesus Himself, will invite the bride, the church, to be welcomed into this feast, this glorious celebration. And oh, Father, I thank You that over 40 years ago you opened my eyes and you caused me to see spiritually that Jesus Christ is the only hope of heaven. He's the only salvation who has been proffered to the world. He's the only one who can save us from our sin. Oh, I pray that there is not one person here or in that glorious wedding later this afternoon who has any doubt about their eternal destiny. Oh, may it be so for your honor, for your glory, for your praise. We want to acknowledge you before men so that we will not be dishonored among them. We want the holy angels to be clapping their praise that a sinner has re repented and believed in the gospel and that this sinner is someone who knows he's undeserving, like that thief on the cross. And we cry out, please remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And may his promise to all of us, every person here, be the glorious response. Today, you will be with me in paradise. May it be so. For the glory, the great glory of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.